welcome to our Kingdom Culture Podcast. For today's message, we are thankful for what God is doing through this podcast to encourage and transform lives around the world. If you have a story to share about how God has encouraged or transformed your life through this podcast, we would love to hear about it by emailing us at mystory@kingdomculture.ca. If you would like to support this ministry financially to help us bring messages like this to you every week, you can do so online at kingdomculture.ca at the give option. We also would love to connect with you on our social media, on Instagram and Twitter at KC Ottawa and Facebook at Facebook slash Kingdom Culture Ottawa. We pray that you would experience God today and be encouraged through today's message. Enjoy. Hey, everybody. Welcome, Kingdom Culture. Welcome live. We're so glad that you're with us this morning. And for all of those that are part of our extended family that track with us week in and week out, we're excited that you're with us this morning. Super excited about this morning, particularly because we are continuing our series called Revive 2020, where we are believing for God to really revive in our heart and in our spirit, areas of our spiritual life that are extremely important. So as you've been tracking with us, we just have seen incredible transformation already just in how God is reminding us and resurrecting within us our heart for really important things that I believe pertain to the transformation of our spiritual life. And so today, I feel absolutely honored and absolutely privileged that I get to be having a conversation with the man himself, Dr. Brian Simmons, the author of The Passion Translation. Dr. Brian Simmons, we're so thankful that you're here and so good to see you. How are you doing? Doing great here and thank you so much for hosting us and and wow, I'm honored to, to be with you again, bro. It's so good. And, you know, I've, I, I met you back in 2006. Uh, I had an opportunity. I was uh, part of a conference there ministering at your church uh, back in a, a church called Gateway in Connecticut. And uh, how long were you there pastoring before you transitioned out? Uh, that was 18 years we were there. 18 years. And so you've been 18 years pastoring also, as a missionary, you lived in the jungles for a while. What jungle did you live in? Well, we were right on the border of Colombia and Panama. Okay. A very dense tropical rainforest there. Wow. And so you, you've been on the field as a missionary. You've been on the ground locally as a pastor. And you have nine grandkids. You <laughs> have three kids. You uh, are an author of over 20 books. And now... You are the translator, the author of the Passion Translation, which is a whole translation of the Bible, and you've already translated 35 books of the Bible. And so you're you're halfway there. You're you're over halfway there. You're Yay. I don't I don't know if you have a, a goal in mind as when you're gonna finish it all. Do you have a goal we, or we do? We're hoping to have the entire Bible translated by 2025. Wow. What a, what a target. That is a lot of work wild. to do. That is wild. And so we're going to dive into this. I feel super privileged. I, you know, you were a part of uh, our, our ordination service, commissioning service with HIM Harvest International Ministries based out of Pasadena, California in 2015. You laid hands on Michelle and I, as well as Cheon, Bill Johnson, many other uh, global leaders. And I just feel uh, absolutely privileged to have this conversation about, about your journey with, 
with translating the Bible, which is a massive journey. I can't even imagine the challenges, the obstacles, the opposition, <laughs> the chaos that goes in, in in translating a whole Bible. But um, we're our subject today, which I want to dive into, and I feel like it's going to be absolutely transformative for people that are watching this and that will watch this later is this concept of revive the word. You know, we're in a series called Revive 2020. Well, today's topic is revive the word, understanding the spiritual weight of the Bible. And I think the Bible across many denominations uh, and the interpretation of the Bible has been really a, a divide for centuries around different camps and how they interpret one scripture and then divides happen. Denominations have been formed as a result of lots of conflict around doctrinal differences. And, and I feel like, you know, if there's ever a person that could talk about this type of thing, it's you. And so I want to dive into this and first just dive into what sparked this journey of writing a whole translation of the Bible. Well, I was involved with a translation project for an indigenous people group, the Payakuna language. That would be basically throughout the 80s. I was involved in language learning. I put together a uh, native dictionary and uh, helped with the uh, phonemic write-up of the language. And eventually, we uh, present. You know, we were able to give them a completed New Testament in 1995. And my wife uh, helped with a literacy program and taught the people how to read. So, of course, we want them to read the Bible because there's nothing that will change the life more than that. So I really started this journey in the tribal village of Pucaro uh, in the 80s. But wow. coming back to North America, I had no clue that I was going to be involved in Bible translation again. I was a pastor. We pastored a wonderful church, as you mentioned, in Connecticut, and it grew, and we had a love affair with our people there, handed it over to a, a younger leadership team in 2009. And uh, I had just a supernatural encounter where the Lord gave me this commission to translate the Word of God into a passionate, dynamic, life-giving, uh, inescapable heart-level translation that in some regards bypasses the intellect because the intellect of man is not the door to truth. The door to truth is the spirit yielded to God. And this vocabulary that we use is so important. It's kind of like an emoticon Bible, you know, scratch and sniff. Have you ever got a text from maybe even a friend and you kind of, what do they mean by that? You know, because it's just a raw text. But if they put an, a happy emoticon there or a sad emoticon, then you know what they're thinking behind the text. Well, sadly, when we read God's word, we don't often read his heart. And I don't want to be a scholar just of letters on a page. I want to be a scholar of God's heart. I want to know his heart, his passion, what moves him. Why did he make us? You know, why does he put up with us? And to, to really discover and impart to this generation the heart of God through his word. Wow, that's that's incredible. You know, um, I, I'm kind of interested just as we dive into this topic a little more, what have been some of the biggest challenges in stepping into this commitment, which is a massive commitment to writing a whole translation? Because I don't know. I, I mean, I, I'm sure you feel this way. I mean, with any endeavor in life, there's moments where we want to give up. We're like, I, I don't know if I can finish this. I started this and I was all in and yeah, I have a word from God, but then 
the challenges begin to hit, the reality sets in, and you're like, holy cow, like this is bigger than I thought it was. Just maybe give us a Coles Notes version on what have been some of so far the biggest challenges and opposition that you have faced in this journey. Yeah, it is a daunting task. Who in their right mind would do this? You know, uh, I keep coming back to the commission God gave me in 2009 that it was his plan for me to do this. So that's my resting place is that it's obedience to God. There's no other, I trust no other motive in my heart other than obedience to him and his passion to get the word out. But the daily challenge of time commitment is very uh, daunting. Uh, I've more than once, I'm uh, five o'clock at my computer in the morning working. Not every single morning. I get sometimes it's six or seven, but uh, I'm an early morning kind of guy. So I, I try to give him my first fruits of my day when my mind is somewhat fresh and, and I've got the energy and wherewithal to work on it. But uh, one of the challenges has been uh, a social life. I, I basically, <laughs> we, we, my wife and I, we are very sociable. We love being with people. We pastored many years. But this kind of pulls us in and keeps us very, very busy doing it. So we've had to say no to a lot of invitations just because we know it will, uh, it will encroach upon this, this task that we have. Time management is a real challenge. I try to spend six hours a day uh, already uh, this morning. I've worked on the translation and worked about eight verses, able to uh, translate about eight verses out of Jeremiah. So as long as I get a verse a day, I'm happy. You know, 10, 12 verses a day is a great day. Occasionally, I may do more than that with a burst of inspiration, but uh, it, about 10 verses a day is kind of my quota. But as you can expect, there's lots of challenges with critics that have no, uh, they don't have an appreciation for the task that I'm doing. And that's okay. We're not out to uh, win anybody over to a different translation. We want to win them over to the word of God. And every translation is flawed. Don't let anybody tell you different. Um, every translation, I have people that are very much in love with the King James Bible and that's fine. You know, I, I ask them occasionally, I said, do you really believe in unicorns? Because <laughs> uh, there are unicorns. There's a lot of mistranslated verses in the King James Bible. And no doubt, years from now, scholars will examine my work and will say, you, Brian, mistranslated. And I understand that. None of us are perfect. This is a translation. But none of us have the original, they're known as autographs, the original manuscripts of the Bible. So we're all translating from fragments, manuscripts, and the, the textual evidence that we have, doing the best we can. So every Bible translation is valid, legit. Everyone should be reading uh, a Bible and committed to whatever translation you, you fall in love with. But I would hope uh, people would at least give ours, our translation a, a look at and see for themselves. Do you find that as you're writing the translation every day that that kind of is, I don't want to say a replacement for your personal like study and meditation, but almost like, is it a part of, I'm assuming, I'm going to assume that your tr you translating the Bible has been a huge part of your transformation as because I know for me, when I study the scripture, whether it's even for a message or even my personal life, whatever the, ta whatever the reason or motivation, I'm constantly being renewed in my mind and transformed 
in whatever I'm studying for. And so do you feel like that's been something that's kind of not a replacement, but been a part of the transformation? Oh, totally. It has changed my life, Sean. I, I feel uh, my heart changed by the word of God. I'm saturated for hours every day. I'm amazed. I often pull my chair back from my desk and weep in tears with my face uh, in my hands in awe of this wonderful God who's given us such an inspired scripture, authoritative, anointed, powerful to change the inner man of every one of us. I, yes, I, I, I kind of have, uh, I, I do have a devotional life apart from the translation, but I try to wrap it both into all that I do. And, and uh, I love the task God's given me. It, it has been 11 years nonstop. I know that I've got years yet ahead of me to do this. So I tell the Lord, you know, I've got some job security, Lord. So, you know, keep me going here. I may have to slow down <laughs> just <laughs> for my job security sake. But I'm excited about this. My wife's along with me uh, in this journey, and she's the first editor to look at it. She's an accomplished editor and wonderful in her own right. And uh, we co-author books together. So it's kind of fun making it a family affair. Then we have our publishers have hired some scholars to be my quality control. And uh, they both learn as they read the translation and they also help me uh, hone it and sharpen it to make it even better. So I'm grateful for the team that we have. I am the lead translator, but that doesn't mean I'm doing this on my own. I have such a wonderful team. Broad Street Publishing has hired some of the top editors and scholars to really help me. Uh, one is very uh, sympathetic of my work. In other words, behind it. The other is not so much so that we get both a perspective of what, you know, and it's really good, the process that we go through. That, that honestly is amazing. I, I'm blown away. And you're happy. Most people that spend all their time writing and studying end up being very like intense and very so like it's encouraging you're you're clearly being transformed by the message that you're studying (laughs) i think my wife would even agree to that if she she's in the other room here but yeah it's changed me uh how can you translate the bible and not absorb the revelation of scripture come on it's so powerful the truth of god embeds inside of you even the lord said in the new covenant I will write it on your heart, not chiseled in stone, but embedded inside the innermost being. There's the scripture written. It keeps us from sin. It keeps us pure. It keeps us loving and tender when we're rejected or persecuted. There's there's an effervescence of the Bible, of the word that just explodes like you shake a bottle of soda pop and, and it just, you know, goes everywhere. That's what the revelation of scripture is to do is to go everywhere into our heart, into our personality, our responses, and into our world around us to impact others. That's yeah, I, I'm like a total Bible fanatic. I, Sean, I started out as a, I was a total druggy hippie in the early 70s. My mind was wasted. I, I don't even want to talk about the, the lifestyle I lived. And I knew when I became a believer in 1971, I knew the only thing that would help me mentally would be the Word of God. So I began to memorize the book of Ephesians and Philippians and and John's letters and Romans and Hebrews and 
and I ended up memorizing about half the New Testament. So I had this word solid thing inside of me, but it was, I was still a young believer. I, within two and a half years, I'd memorized 17 books of the Bible, but it hadn't changed me. My water had to become wine. God had to turn the revelation that he put in me. He had to turn it into that life-giving, intoxicating beauty of Holy Spirit and word mixed together. So wow. I, my, my history goes deep into loving the word of God. I'm, I'm a Baptist originally and uh, recovering, uh, so to speak, Baptist. <laughs> but I never have lost my desire for the truth of the Bible, to teach it to others. And now uh, I'm so humbled and broken by the privilege to translate the Bible, a revival Bible for this generation. I'm, I'm, I'm just blown away by it. I'm humbled to even talk about it, Sean. Wow. It's just incredible. Well, we need it. And we're thankful that you've endeavored and you've committed to this commission that God has given you to do it and make it happen. And it will be something that impacts the generations to come. I was saying to you earlier that, man, I'd love to, as your grandchild, if I was your grandchild to say to my friends, my grandfather translated this Bible, like this passion translation is, <laughs> came from the loins, so to speak, spiritual loins of my grandfather. That would be an incredible thing to say, but I want to dive into this. Um, you know, it says that Hebrew in Hebrews 4, verse 12, the the word of God, the Logos word of God, the written word of God is living and powerful. And that it's like a sword and that it has the ability to cut and divide and separate. And oh, yeah. that's what we're talking about today, really. And that's what you've been translating. And I want to dive into this first question that I want to, I want you to kind of speak into is that in one generation, and I feel like when I say one generation, I feel like the generations today in general, I think it, it speaks to, you know, maybe more of the, you know, millennial generation, possibly, or even younger, the value for the greatest book on the planet, the Bible, the written word of God is, is seems to be less and less uh, something that people are passionate about and living their lives rooted in it, I feel like is less and less something that people are passionate about. And so we're living in this era where my prayer is that we would have a revived passion yes. writing the passion translation that we would have a passion for the word again. And so if you could speak to that, like what do you see God doing and, and how do we uh, uh, position ourselves in this next season uh, to, to find that passion again? Maybe during quarantine, yeah. people have, have gotten a new passion because they're reading more. I don't know. But what, what do you see as the whole and what do you see God doing in this area of yeah, our lives? If, if I could just start with saying the importance of the word of God. You know, we're in a culture and a generation where absolutes are blurred. It's no longer black and white. Things are very gray and all the different shades of gray. But the Lord has given us an anchor. He's given us a solid foundation in the word of God. And if you look at it historically, Think of all the people who have laid down their lives to not only translate the Bible, but because of the Bible. Martyrs, all of the church martyrs, for the sake of the testimony of the word of God, they offered blood. They offered their last breath. And their, the very last words they spoke 
were, were scriptures. They were quoting Bible verses because it sustained them through life all the way to death. Just historically, our fathers, our ancestors that have based our, you know, even Canada, you know, from sea to sea, that the, the, the glory of God is going to go from sea to sea. The, the manifest destiny, if I, if I could say that, of Canada is because of the word of God, the people that came to our lands. They were not uh, evil people. They were God-fearing people. Of course, they may have not had all of their ducks in a row, neither do we, but they, they loved God. I, just from a historical perspective, I look back at the generations that we have built upon, there's no way we can say we're better than they, we're smarter than they, just because we've got a Google and Wikipedia. They had things we do not have, and that was a passion for the Word of God. I think of the revivalists in history that preached the Word of God with such power and authority. Oh my, the church fathers, the apostles themselves, the 12 apostles of the Lamb, they all were martyrs except John. Every one of them gave their life for this. And then, you know, you think of revivalists like Wesley, the Wesleyan revival. You think of uh, the Booths, uh, the uh, uh, General Booth, yeah, the uh, Salvation Army, and what glory that they operated in. And Jonathan Edwards, the brilliant Yale scholar there that was just brilliant beyond measure. And to this day, his writings, they have said uh, that are some of the most brilliant treatises ever written, uh, Jonathan Edwards sermons, and they it was based on the Word of God. Uh, I think of commentators, expositors throughout the centuries, and bringing it up now to our current day, uh, our fathers that have given their lives for the gospel, uh, martyrs. My best friends were martyrs. I don't know if you know this, Sean, but our village in, in uh, South America was overrun by the drug cartel, and, and uh, they kidnapped missionary men that I had picked, handpicked to replace us. Wow. And they were killed. They shot the men dead. Their bodies were never even found in the jungle. And uh, they left the widows and children, but, but killed the men. My best friends are martyrs because they were there teaching and preaching the word of God to a tribal wow. people. So just wow. from a historical perspective, the importance of the Bible. And then you've got all kinds of other angles that you can look at it. Of course, there's cultural differences, and we should never apologize for our passion for the Word of God, that, that Scripture is true, and every man is a liar. And that's uh, <laughs> a verse in the right. Bible, Book of Romans. Every one of us are the liars, and people a lot smarter than us have tried to come against the Bible. They burned the Bible. They burned translators at the stake. They did all kinds of horrible things to contradict the Bible. They're all gone. The Bible's still here, and it will be 100 years after our funeral. The, the Word of God stands forever. It's never going to be moved or changed. It is solid, true, and absolute. And, and I just, I love it. I mean, I'm, I'm obviously, as you can tell, I'm a Bible fanatic. That's amazing. You know, and I want to, I want to land there for a second because. You, you, you said something that just, you know, it says that I want to read it out of your translation, the Passion Translation, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 to 17. Very powerful scripture, but I think a lot of people don't fully understand the gravity of the weight that comes from the truth out of this passage. 
And I want to I want to dive into this in a second and talk about you know inherency versus infallibility because there's a lot of conversation about you know right. the word not being authoritative, the word not being flawless, the the you know as as we have it today. And I know there's a difference between the word and then the translation of the word, like you you mentioned it earlier. And then you know people having conversation around well is this allegory? Is this real history? And and I want to dive into that because that's slightly controversial. I want to dive there in a second, but I want to read this scripture out of the Passion Translation, which I feel like, in a sense, feels like the basis for our conversation. Every scripture, this is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 to 17, every scripture has been written by the Holy Spirit. Very important. The breath of God. It will empower you by its instruction and correction giving you the strength to take the right direction and lead you deeper into the path of godliness. Then you will be God's servant, fully mature, and perfectly prepared to fulfill any assignment God gives you. Love that. Like I feel like that in and of itself carries so much weight to frame everything we're talking about today, about reviving in us a heart for the word, but first understanding that the word is like, and if we can talk about this, like in, inherent, there's no error and infallible that it's authoritative, but we can dive into this and from the basis of that passage, that passage specifically. Yeah. So we use the word plenary. Plenary means in every part. So the plenary inspiration of scripture is that all of it is inspired. Even, uh, you know, I, I jokingly say from, uh, you know, even maps in the back. <laughs> it, it is just inspired. And uh, that simply means God breathed and inspired and moved the prophets and the writers of scripture. You, one thing we got to keep in mind is, dude, this is 2000. The, the newest scripture is 2000 years ago from a different culture, a different time, a different language. So we've got to like, uh, get out of our, our know-it-all mentality and come to this childlike place of faith. But faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And we've got to have a faith that the scriptures are not going to lead us astray. Having spent six hours a day for 11 years in the inspired text, I can tell you I have not found one error. There are different wow. manuscripts errors copyist errors but the factually the word of god is true and it can be interpreted on a number of levels and in our western mindset we tend to like just it's either or but actually it can be both where where portions of scripture are allegory but they're also literal did god create the earth in seven days Yes, but the seven, the word yom, Y-O-M, the word for day can be translated with 50 different words. And it can mean season or uh, periods of time. So, yes, there's a, a literal aspect to scripture, but there's also a deeper meaning. Uh, when God communicates and he speaks from his heart, uh, the transcendent God that no man has seen, this beautiful God is going to embed in his word hidden truths that the superficial will never find. The, the skin-deep person is not going to find the deeper truths of revelation. It requires a hunger 
God has purposely put his word into a context where it requires the seeker to be passionate. Uh, Proverbs 25, verse 2, you know, it says that it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. That's a wrong translation. We've corrected it in the, in the Passion Translation. It shouldn't be translated the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of God to conceal his word, the bar. It is clearly the word of God that he has hidden. Wow. It's the glory to hide his word. But there's only three words in the Hebrew, that whole verse. And I've translated it, he hides his word in his glory. Wow, that's amazing. And the glory of kings will search it out. But he hides his word in a place where you cannot understand it or appreciate it unless you're in that passionate realm of his glory. So you're talking about, really, you're talking about pursuing Jesus as a huge part of our ability to interpret the word, the Logos word, kind of like a parable. When Jesus spoke to his disciples and the crowds in parables, you know, it was like he he was making this statement that, you know, the only the ones that are close to me are going to actually get the answers that seek me out in private. But to those on the outside, I speak to them with like treasure maps. Like I hidden, I've uh-huh. hidden the treasure, but only those that actually pick up the map and pursue the treasure are going to find it. Those that oh, just love that. hear it, it's going to go in and go out. Yeah. That's kind of actually, what you're saying. Yeah. It actually blinds the eyes of those who say they see, and it opens the eyes of the blind and who wow. know it. So I think our attitude is the most important when we want a passion for the word. We've got to have the attitude of, like, so to speak, taking our shoes off. We're standing before a sacred flame and and to let the word of God change us and not just, you know, well, I've already read that. I already know that. You know, I am I am mystified and, and awestruck every single day. And I have memorized large portions of scripture and read through the Bible maybe 40 times. So I, I, you know, and I'm still knocked silly by what I learn in the scriptures and by how little I know, how absolutely little I understand of this God that is so glorious. Would you say the Bible is kind of like an onion where there's many layers and the deeper you go, the more you cry because. (laughs) Oh, oh, that's a good one. Yeah, (laughs) it's so true. Because I feel that way. It's like I, you know, as somebody that preaches and speaks and teaches from the word of God that I've looked at the same thing like thousands of times. And every time I'm getting new layers of understanding from it, because the Logos, yeah. and correct me if I'm wrong, I, I've always believed this has the ability to become like a rhema. And so yeah. it's like the written word can become the now communication of God to my own life and to those that I'm speaking to yeah. Like new, new every day, like fresh every day. It's like fresh let, bread. Let me give you an illustration. And you quoted it. It's Hebrews 4.12. But here's some things that you may not, and our viewers may not have ever heard before. That the word of God is a, sh- a sharp, two-edged sword, right? Yep. Wrong. That's not what it says. In the, in the Greek text, it is a two-mouth sword. The word edge is not there. It's not a two-edged sword. It's a two-mouth sword. Wow. When God speaks it, and then we speak it, it becomes the two-mouth sword. So the logos has to become the rhema. And we literally take what God says, and then when we speak it out, like what you as a pastor, a teacher, 
you're speaking it out and you're watching it influence the hearts, impact the hearts of people. I mean, to the point of tears at times. Uh, the glory of God is released as two mouths handle wow. that word. Wow. So, it, so like when you read a scripture like that, because I know a lot of people are, are, would be watching this and, and wondering, oh, well, when you say it like that, it kind of flips the uh, picture in the mind that we think of when we read and says, you know, it's a two-edged sword. It's got two edges, two sides to it. <laughs> in and how, out. How, <laughs> what would you say to somebody that says, well, if, if translations, as we know it, have different way or different emphasis, like uh, different focuses or emphasis, how do we read it then if there's always these not so obvious layers? Right. I mean, unless okay. we're studying the Aramaic, unless we're studying right. the, maybe the Latin, unless the Greek or the Hebrew, how do we read it? I mean, you can still draw sort of a similar conclusion from the two-edged sword as you could the two, the two mouths, right? Like in right. a sense. Yeah, yeah well, the, again, that shows the power of Scripture, that it is on multiple levels, that God can, uh, you know, for example, in 1 John, he writes to little children, young men, and fathers. It's the same message, but little children hear it one way. Young men hear it a different way. And fathers hear it a third way. It's the same revelation. But how we are in our growth processes, that determines how we hear it so and good. how we respond to it. You know, uh, you can... Uh, you can read all the verses you want about marriage as a, as a single, and please go ahead, read them, do that. But after 20 years of marriage, about 50 years of marriage, suddenly those scriptures are going to be a lot different to you. Totally. So where we are in our journey helps us understand scripture. So that's part of the dynamic behind our understanding is it, it's not that Bible is flawed. It's we are the ones that have different levels of immaturity working in our life that provide a bias or provide a, a filter through which we see the scriptures perhaps wrongly. So it, it can speak to many people in many different ways. You know, Jesus misquoted the Old Testament. Wow. He paraphrased every time <laughs> he quoted the Old Testament. He didn't exactly quote the Hebrew. He made it real to the people today. And I, I think if the living word can do that to the written word, then we can love and cherish the written word and get life from it. You know, Jesus quoted the Bible when he was tempted by the devil. I, I, wait a second. The living word of God. He's the word made flesh. Jesus Christ. He is the word. And yet he depended on the written word to, to be rescued from darkness and from the enemy and to please the father so if jesus needed the written word how much more do we need it today in our life that's amazing so what just on that really quick and then i want to go back to this you know inherency and fallibility question yeah um what would you say like i mean when jesus said in the wilderness in matthew 4 when he said man shall not live on bread alone i think quoting deuteronomy yeah. Man shall not live on bread alone, but every word. And that word for word is rhema, the rhema word. There, there's a simultaneous, there's a there's a synonymous sort of interaction that happens between the logos and the rhema. Because in some translations, it's almost the same, the same outcome or same reality. Can you just comment on that? Like 
was was Jesus saying, even though he's quoting Deuteronomy, was he speaking to the fact that like in John six, I believe it is where, you know, it, it's my food is not your food or John four, my food is not your food, but it's to do the will of him who sent me. Well, it says in John five nineteen, he only did what he saw his father doing. So how did he get the will? He had to see it. He had to hear it. John eight says that he only said what he heard his father say. So, so like in that context, he's, he's quoting the word of God, but he's also in an everyday conversation with God living wow. from the hearing wow. and recognizing. Can you comment on that a little bit? Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> you said it, I think perfectly that here he is the logos, the word made flesh, the living expression of God. And yet, and, and yet trusting in not just that, but trusting in the revelation his father had given him both in scripture and in that personal one-on-one -on -one relationship, devotional relationship that connected them as one. So yeah, the, that, why don't we mirror that relationship with God that we, we cherish the written scripture, even Jesus did. And yet we also long for that daily uh, communion of hearing that word, the rhema, the word rhema can mean the sayings of God. You know, uh, logos is, um, people translate it word, but, but we've translated the living expression of God. It's, it's the word, but words are containers for truth. Wow. And English is a poor container. Every language is a poor container for revelation because revelation is always bigger than the word you put in it. Wow. So, Christ came as this living expression that all the nuances of the word of God can be seen in the flesh. You can see him with your eyes. Like John said, we handled him. We touched him. The word of life, the word of life, we touched him. And we need to touch that word. It's like the woman with the issue of blood. She touched him. There were many people that bumped into Jesus, but she took, she touched him. How many people you know, come around the Bible and, and bump it and read it, look at it, a devotion here or there. But who are the ones that really pull the virtue from it? Wow. I love that. That's amazing. That's amazing. That's amazing. So question for you, what would you say to somebody that struggles with like this? Maybe they didn't grow up around, they didn't grow up around church um, they've never like heard about a value for the word. They they're on a new journey, let's say, brand new yeah. journey with their relationship with God, or still searching. And their big hangups are like, how, how can we believe what we're what what's written in this this Bible? How can we believe it as true as without error? I mean, people got together and and translated the original manuscripts and put it all together and chose which books should belong and which. What would you say as a scholar yourself, as somebody who's doing this? Like, I actually want to know what you would say, uh, honestly, to know what you would say as someone that's in this, living in this world, when someone's struggling with, you know, is it infallible? Is it inherent? Is there error in it? Like, these people got together what we call the canonized. They canonized the Bible. Um, can you just speak into that? Like, what would you say as somebody who's living this yeah. world of study to someone that just struggles with, you know, is it true? Is it not true? What if it's flawed? You know, what if there's error? Like, what would you say to all that? Well, God's big enough to handle those doubts. And there's nothing that doesn't mean you're any less of a, a good person because you have those concerns or, or valid doubts. We understand that. I would say, first of all, 
the validity of the scripture can be proven by prophecy. In other words, Isaiah, the prophet, 800 years before, uh, maybe 700 years before Christ was crucified, before the Romans even invented crucifixion, prophesied of a, of a Messiah whose hands and feet would be pierced. And about 20 plus prophecies, some say even as many as 30 prophecies from Isaiah were fulfilled the hours Jesus hung on the cross. I mean, think of 800 years from now, what can you say is going to happen with that kind of certainty? Wow. Prophecy itself, that God knows the future. He knows your future. And he loves you just the way you are. And he's given us a manual of life and for eternity. There are a lot of religions to live by, but where are the ones to die by? And in Christ, we have a legitimate, valid, foundational truth that is the word of God. So first of all, I would just say prophecy. I could say a lot more about that. But one of the second uh, infallible proofs of the truth of the word of God are the millions and millions of transformed lives of, of like myself. And I don't want to use myself as an example, but I will. Uh, I was changed by the word of God. Scripture changed my life. It rewired my thinking. It made me uh, a loving husband, I trust, to my wife and to my precious children. I was somebody you would hide your kids from. Believe me, get the kids out of the room. Here comes Brian, you know. I was, you want to avoid me. I was a, not only a druggie, a drug dealer. I did my best to introduce people to darkness every chance I could. And God redeemed me. He pulled me out. What are you going to say about that? Is that just, well, uh, you know, I finally woke up. and No, I didn't wake up. God put his spirit in me. And the word pierced me. That sword pierced me deep and changed me. And look at you, Pastor Sean, and, and the beautiful people of, your, uh, of kingdom culture. You've been changed by what has changed you. But the Holy Spirit and the Word of God mingled as one. The Bible is the spouse of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is married to the Bible. You'll never have one without the other. They'll never file for divorce or separate. They're always together. And the Holy Spirit and the Word of God mingled is the transformation power. So the, the millions of testimonies of people who have even gone to the uh, you know, martyrs' flames for the sake of the Word of God. You can't just discount that. You can't say everybody's living some kind of fantasy. And I know the culture, the winds of our cultural shift and change is blowing against authentic faith in Christ. But you can stand up and, and trust the Bible as authoritative, as something to base your life on, and, uh, you know, bury me with a Bible in my coffin. I hope it'll be the Passion Translation. But I have lived my life to see the scriptures uh, brought into cultural dynamic, both in other lands and now into the North America and English-speaking Western world. But I, I witnessed myself of its power and authority. Um, I, that's probably not the fullest or best complete answer I could give, but those two things to me uh, uh, remain unchallenged. Prophecy of prophets that God spoke to 
years and years before Enoch prophesied of the second coming of Christ. And and that was how many thousands of years ago? And he spoke about the coming of Christ with ten thousands of myriads of angels. And I, I mean, prophecy, biblical prophecy, is a potent, um, powerful testimony and proof of the validity of Scripture. That's amazing. And you know, I think though you answered it great. I think the other side of this question that I would love to pull from you is, you know, I've, I've always been of the mindset that I don't read the scripture just to memorize it or just to have a good devotional time. I study the scripture for transformation because I want to apply it to my life. And I kind of take from Ezekiel chapter three, where God says to Ezekiel, eat the scroll because you can't prophesy to this rebellious nation called Israel that are stiff-necked and stubborn and in fact aren't going to listen to you anyways. He he forewarned Ezekiel that their hearts were hard but he said eat the scroll that I give you basically the premise being that you can't give what's not digested or ingested. You can't give a message until the message becomes a part of who you are and so just like Jesus was the word made flesh John 1 14 I believe that we are to, as Jesus being the prototype, we are to mirror that image in that we are to so root ourselves in the word. The word transforms us from the inside out, and we become the word made flesh like Jesus was in our everyday and live it out. I remember I was driving one time, and I was about to mentor these leaders, and I was, it was a leaders meeting, and God said to me, he said, Sean, he said, the word of God is not the foundation to Christian life. And I'm like, what? He said, no, it's the word of God applied. Because so many people study, 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 and they sound smart. They sound, they've got it all. Just like kind of like what Jesus did when he rebuked the religious. He said, like in the scripture, the logos, you think you find life, but you failed to come to me, who is the word himself to give you life. And so I've been of this, this mindset that like, I don't want to just read the word. I want to study it. I want to become it. I want to ingest it. I want to swallow the message so that when I give it, it's already become a part of me. It's who I, who I am. It's applied. And so, you know, I know it says in James 1 that if you're a hearer only, then you're living deception. And I think a lot of people live a deceptive spiritual life because they know the word, but they don't know the word here. They know it here, but they're not living it out. So what's the point? unless you're going to live it out. So can you speak to that about as somebody who studies it and very, probably very easy for anybody that studies it for a living, let's say, for example, to just get smarter up here, but then forget about the transformation that has to happen here. It's got to go from here to here. Can you speak to that? Yeah, I think it's, it's relationship imparts revelation and insight, but you know, as we, we become one with God, as you were as you're sharing so brilliantly, I was thinking about, you know, it's God's word. And let's put the emphasis on God. It's God's word. It's the words he speaks and spoke. It, I mean, to know God. Don't you want to know somebody like, Sean, I'd love to get to know you better and have you buy me some Tim Hortons coffee. And, uh, we <laughs> I'll buy you it. better. I'll buy you a lot better coffee than Tim oh, Hortons yeah, coffee. That's better than that. We'll go somewhere else. <laughs> but to really get to know you and your precious family. And, but it requires that I listen, but I stop and hear your heart and, and, you know, look at your eyes. And, and so it is with God, a relationship. 
I'm, I'm just trying to put his word in the context of, of it being a relational um, viewpoint, uh, insight into his heart. And it's so important that the translations of the Bible reflect the heart of God and not the angry bias of a translator that maybe uh, doesn't like women and, and wants uh, uh, to promote a, a pet theory. I've tried and asked God to preserve me from that, but that God would give us his word in a relational way. So, yeah, you know, I don't think we even have it here until we get it here. I don't, I think it starts here. I, you know, for years I said, you know, it needs to go 18 inches from here down to your heart. And and I kind of repent of that right now. And if you don't get it here first, who cares if you have it there? So you don't good. even have to be a believer to translate the Bible. So good. Or to teach the Bible. But to really walk with God, you've got to know him and to love him, which means you love his word. So keeping a passion for the word wrapped into our the context of a passion to know God's heart, that's the key for me. That's amazing. So, okay, so on that, just want to conclude this part of the conversation what would you say to people that are asking, you know, somebody who's passionate about the word, help me study the word. There's so many people that are illiterate in the word. They don't know where to start. They're like, do I do, do the the Bible in one year? Do I, do I go on these crazy, you know, devotional binges? What, like, what would you say as somebody who is doing what you're doing? How would you encourage people that don't know where to start? How do I study the word for transformation. What are some keys that you would yeah. say that would help us? Well, the Lord gave me uh, some some of the keys when I got this commission, and he 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 told me about homonyms. Uh, a homonym in English, we have lots of homonyms. In Hebrew, it is virtually entirely homonyms. So the word for singing in Hebrew, zamir, is also the word for pruning vines. So every word God speaks has multiple meanings. And I'm not trying to confuse by saying this, but rather to make you thirsty and hungry to go deeper. And of course, word studies are great. We always want to put the word study in the context of, of, of a bigger context. Uh, you know, I grew up with Strong's Concordance nearby. Now I have a Logos Bible software platform that I can access all kinds of goodies right within just a second or two. But yeah, to go deeper and to understand the different meanings. Can I share with you one powerful homonym that changed my life? Yes. The last word Jesus spoke, tetelestai in Greek. But Jesus didn't speak Greek. The last word Jesus spoke was his heart language. We already have him recorded as saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is not Greek. The last word Jesus spoke was kala, and kala means finished, but it has another meaning. Kala means bride. It is the Hebrew word bride. The last word Jesus spoke, bride. Wow. Yes, it's finished, but for who? And then he gave birth to her. Blood and water came from his side. That accompanies childbirth. Wow. The everlasting father gave birth. Wow. And the heavenly Eve was born at his side. And, and to, to see a level of meaning behind the text itself, 
wow. you know, that, that inspires us to go beyond what a commentary says or what just a, a you know, a raw word study gives us, but to, to look at the woman at the well and realize that we've been married five times to our five senses, to wow. this, world, this natural order. We've got to come out of the natural into the supernatural. And that's the whole story of the woman at the well. Jesus is trying to pull her into his realm, into his world. He came into our world. Now we need to get into his. And understanding that the Bible is, uh, is really, it's closed unless you're hungry. And it will, it will fascinate your mind, but to really pierce your heart requires a hunger and a passion to know God that will spend the time required in any relationship to get to know that person and to devote yourself to him. That's, uh, that's the longing of my heart. And I know that's what your, your viewers are really wanting today as well is to be not just filled with Bible verses, but to really, like you said, to apply it, to live it out, to have transformed marriage, transformed workplace, communities, congregations, cities, the silver cities of redemption. Let it rise throughout Canada and may glory rest over us as we find our delight, like David writes, in the word of God. That's it keeps amazing. us from sin and it, it makes us pure before God. I, I love taking that spiritual shower in the water of the word of God. I love that. You know, you said funny, you said silver cities because our venue actually was called the silver city movie theater. Cause we, we lost our church, our venue like four years ago, we've been mobile venue to venue, 13 different venues and the venue that we're at right now. I mean, not right now because we're in quarantine and we can't use the venue, but it's actually a movie theater and it was formally called silver city. I I've see. actually never heard anybody use that before. Yeah, I was like, silver. yeah, we're a silver city of redemption. Come on. Yeah, you, you are a silver city rising. That's the picture prophetically I get as I'm sharing with you right now. I see like uh, silver city rising. Wow. <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> that just, that just really hit me. I, I wonder if prophecy you... is a, a picture of the word of God. Absolutely. I love it. And you quoted John 19 when Jesus said it is finished. I love that, that picture that he, on the cross, finished the work to birth the bride, which is the bride of Christ, which is us. I mean, Ephesians 5 draws that illustration of a man shall love his wife as Christ loved the church and laid down his life for her. We are his bride, yes. and he birthed the bride in, in the finished work on the cross. And then I love that that water and, and the blood and what yeah. happens in birth. You know, that the, yeah, we were that's wild. We're the heavenly Eve, and, and we kind of got close to saying this, but, you know, as far as where to start in Bible reading, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blow you away where I, the one book, it's not Leviticus, but the one book I think every believer, every new believer should start reading is what the early church read, and that is the Song of Songs. Wow. Divine. Never heard that before. That's amazing. Why? Because Why do you say that? His heart. Because his heart, you'll see his heart. You can see... Jesus in the book of John, and that's where everybody steers a new believer. Go read the book of John. And that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. But what if every believer fell in love with a king named Jesus and saw themselves, male or female, as a lover, a passionate friend, pursuer, that was wanting intimacy, that he says, you're lovely, you're beautiful, puts a crown on our head and watches us grow up to fit it long before we even know the love of God. 
he pours it out over us. Ephesians 1, 3, every spiritual blessing on the front end. We don't even have a clue how deep wow. his love is for us. And if we don't get that love vacuum, that love need filled first, we're going to just make Bible reading a way to make God like you. Instead of understanding he he's loves you. He's had a long time to think about you. He had you in his mind when he framed the world. From the foundation of the earth, his love, Ephesians 1, 4, it's been set on you. He has thought about you for a long time. He knows you, understands you, and read that allegorical picture of the, the Shulamite journey into the flaming heart of Jesus. And you get infected with that virus. Huh, it's more contagious than COVID. And you get infected with this, then you'll see all of Scripture as as the arteries that go out from that heartbeat of the Song of Songs. Even Pauline, I'm going to write a book on Pauline theology and the Song of Songs because I am convinced Paul got his theological foundation in part through the revelation of the Song of Songs, where uh, you know uh, where it says we have conquered his heart, we've conquered him, and we're more than conquerors. Paul writes. Wow. Through them that loves us. Wow. That's amazing. Wow. That that's blowing my mind right now. I love what you just said. I would, I would love it. I wonder if you would do two last things for us sure. this morning. Um, one, you know, I, you know, you, you, this journey that you're on right now with translating a Bible started with an encounter, started with a commissioning. You said you had an encounter with God, but even more than that, years i don't know how many years before that you had an encounter with god that changed you you came out of drugs said you were a drug dealer you were a drug addict your life was in some sort of self-destructive mode i know there are people that are watching today that are either they don't know jesus they're searching they're trying to figure out truth and maybe they've begun to read the bible and they're kind of overwhelmed They, they don't understand and or maybe they're brand new in their walk with god I know there are people that are going to watch this that fit one of those categories as well. And I'd wonder if you just quickly share your encounter and just help people along a journey that are searching right now, maybe pray for them. And then second to that, second thing, just pray for everybody watching today that we would have a revival in our heart, a passionate revival in our heart for the word of God again, as we shift out and close out in, in ministry here. I'd love it if you do those two things. Yeah, my own my own story, real simply, was I was facing a court-martial in the military. I was, uh, like I said, I was hopelessly lost. And I was able to, gr- they granted me a weekend pass to go off base to a Christian military uh, ministry for servicemen. And I went there basically because I knew Girls would be there. But uh, I went there and I heard a message that rocked my world from my nose to my toes. It turned me inside out. And it was the message of ABC. Admit that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus Christ loves you and paid the price of your sin for you. And then confess him as your Lord and Savior, receiving him into your heart. That simple ABC message. It pierced me. I was 20 years old. I was rocked to the core. 
that I was loved the way I was, that just as I was, I mean, living, like, don't I have to go and, like, clean up for 10 years before I could come before God? And, and that message of grace, of goodness, that a kind, loving God would receive me if I would admit my need. That was fairly easy, believe me. But then to believe, to step out into the invisible realm of faith, it's intangible. You can't put your hands on it. You can't buy it. You can't spend it. it, it what is it? But I, whatever that faith is, whatever belief is, it came forth in my heart, and I believe that Jesus was my sin bearer, my friend, my, my soul savior. And then I confessed him that day publicly. I said, I believe in Jesus Christ, and in my tears, I said, I want to be his, and I can't believe he would take me, but I'm yours, God, for the rest of my life. And that beautiful journey of faith is what got me all started in this whole process and eventually married uh, a girl that I knew since grammar school, my precious wife, Candace. We've been married 49 years wow. and a bliss filled, you know, I'm not, I'm not fluffing it when I say we've just had an incredible uh, love filled marriage with uh, three amazing children. I, what, what I'm saying is God has put my life back together and he'll do it for you. He can set things in motion today. If you'll take a step toward him, he will take 10 steps toward you. Draw near to me, God says. I will come closer to you. You want to know God? Then take a step right now. Take that step of faith and say, show me who you are. Let me know that you're real and I will believe in you. Take that step and then watch God work that out for you. We love you, friends. We're praying for you and and uh, as you've asked, I, I'd love to just go ahead and pray, if that's okay. Please do, yes. Please. Almighty God, you're so kind. You are merciful. You are not the imagination of many huh, people on this world. You are a God filled with compassion. You're actually called the God of all comfort, the God of hope, the God who is love. And to know you is to know true love. Father, we come to you. We thank you that you've made a way. You've opened up the living pathway to come to you by faith through Jesus Christ. We come, that blood-sprinkled path, into your very presence, into your throne room, into the place of mercy. And we say, thank you, God. I pray for revelation of scripture to fill our hearts, that we would surrender our pride, our know-it-all attitude, our opinions, traditions, and debates, and lay them at the door and say, God, teach me. Write your living truth upon my heart and let me be an example to others. Let me be a messenger of hope and love to the nations. Lord, I pray for each one viewing this, each one that's a part of kingdom culture. Lord, that you would bless them, you would fill them, that Revival 2020 would be filled with an empowerment of Scripture, that we would let Scripture have its rightful place in our heart, and that we would advance in all the ways of God, understanding, wisdom, revelation, and grace. Lord, thank you. We ask your blessing on each one of us this day and on the families that 
we represent, our homes, our households, our wives, children, our best friends. Would you bless, encourage, and strengthen every single adult, every married couple, every uh, grandma and, and, and grandpa, Lord, every, everyone viewing this today. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Dr. Brian Simmons. We're so thankful for you in this conversation. Just praying for everybody watching that in this next season, coming out of quarantine, or maybe you're still in it, that you would come out with a revived passion for the Word of God like we've been talking about. And I just want to encourage you uh, to visit Dr. Brian Simmons' website. His website's on the screen, and you can uh, invest and buy the, the translations. I know you can also go on Amazon, but go to his website, get his resources, be a part of the journey. I know it's a it's a it's a crazy journey for him, but be a part of the journey financially. Be a part of the journey um, with buying the Passion Translation, the various books, and I know it will have a huge impact and uh, and powerful you know uh, uh, experience for you in your journey in getting into the Word. And so I want to thank you again, Dr. Brian. Thank you so much. So great to see you again, and uh, looking forward to connecting again in the future. And uh, yeah, we'll talk soon. God bless you. Love you, friend. Thank you again so much. Thank you so much.